Thanks for joining us today on Conversations and Connections. Again, I always like to say the official podcast of the Family Crisis Center of East Texas. I'm Stuart Burson, the Prevention Coordinator for the agency. And today we're going to talk a little bit about a, a, a program that probably a lot of people are unaware that the agency has, and that is the BIP program, the Batterers Intervention and Prevention Program. And with us to talk about that today is Will Wyndham, who's the um, the BIP coordinator for the agency. Good morning. Good morning. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for coming in, Will. Of course, Will has been on a previous episode when we talked about healthy masculinity, and I think then we probably talked just a little bit about the BIP program, but we we wanted to go more in depth about exactly what uh, the BIP program is. So, uh, first of all, Will, if you don't mind, just tell us a little bit about your position with the agency. What uh, being BIP coordinator. What what does that mean? What do you do here? Okay, well, um, I think I, I guess a little background was I started at the Family Crisis Center as the BIP coordinator as the program was getting started here, and it's roughly five years ago or so. And uh, so I think the Battering Intervention and Prevention Program is most simply... Uh, a, a diversion program for men who have had issues with like we what to term intimate partner violence. And um, so along with that, I do an array of things. I facilitate the groups of men that are in the program. I do the intakes to admit the men in the program. And I also do the behind the scenes uh, stuff such as uh contacting the folks who refer men to the program, sending them progress reports, um, ensuring the men pay their fees, etc. And then, of course, um, following up with those referral sources when the men finish the program. Okay. So the program, it's for the, um, the perpetrators or the alleged perpetrators or, or they um, – is that the proper term to use, or yes. how how would how would you describe that? Yes, I would say that um, currently um, we are accredited by the Department of Criminal Justice, who also fund the program, and they require us to um, just admit men currently who again have had the issues with intimate partner violence, and, and so yes, they are the perpetrator in the case that they would be referred to us for. Now, are, are these guys like convicted? Have they actually gone through a trial? And are they, have they been convicted or is this just maybe men who have just had a history of violence, but maybe not necessarily an official conviction of domestic violence? Uh, I think it uh, varies across uh, the men we see. Most of the men we do have referred to us come from probation offices where the men have actually been through a, a, a court proceeding and they've been convicted and a part of their probation plan per se is that they attend the BIP group. So we see men from probation, we see men from parole. Um, so guys who've recently left like state prison, it's a part of their uh, plan to get off of that parole. Um, 
And we do see some volunteers and occasionally pre-trial, some attorneys refer guys. So just um, CPS, uh, Child Protective Services, occasionally refer men who are involved in a Child Protective Services case where there's been some indication of intimate partner violence. Okay. And I guess that was going to be one of the things I was wanting to ask you about and talk to you about. Uh, all the men that participate in this group, are they all mandated to go? Do you have any guys that are strongly encouraged to attend without an official court order? Or are these guys all ordered by the court to come to the BIT meetings? We do have some men that are encouraged by an attorney and then have the wherewithal to attend. We basically classify these men as volunteers in the group. And I would say that uh, some of the premise of the group is based on this idea of accountability. So when a man has someone to be accountable to or something to be accountable to, such as a probation or parole, they're typically more likely to complete the group. Um, And some volunteers do complete the group. But if a man is just saying, hey, look, I've got some issues with intimate partner violence while he's looking in the mirror and he decides to find a group and join it, those men typically aren't as successful completing the group. Okay. Just, I believe, because they're they're only there to hold themselves accountable, and that's some of the issue to begin with. So I think maybe they'll attend three or four of the required 24 groups and decide that, you know, hey, look, man, I've got this. They're telling themselves, and so they just kind of fade away from us. How often do y'all meet? So historically, we've met once a week in the counties that we serve, which were Angelina... And uh, Houston County, we would meet once a week. The men are required to attend once a week. And, of course, that's shifted some in the current climate to where we offer both uh, online Zoom and in person. And the men um, currently could attend both of those uh, via a waiver we've received. Um, But typically, they would have to attend one time a week. Okay. And so right now, it's just... um... Angelina County and Houston County. There's nothing, there's not a group right now that meets in Nacogdoches or any other counties, right? No, when we take referrals from those counties, but those men, they will have to travel to, to meet in person. Right. Yes. Okay. Uh, now, of course, we're talking about men, and I know with the BIT program, it's just men. Are there similar programs in the state that cater towards female offenders, or is there such a thing? Uh, yes, there are. I think that uh, um, across the state you could find several programs where it's just women um, who are involved in sort of a battering intervention diversion program. Those programs are not currently uh, you know, monitored by the Department of Criminal Justice. Okay. Right. So it would just yeah. be, say, our agency would decide – Let's start a women's program. We would then be responsible for our own policies and procedures around that and, and uh, you know, what curriculum we would follow, et cetera. So there would be no oversight provided by any larger group, um, like in our men's group, which that oversight is provided by the Department of Criminal Justice. Mm-hmm. So those do exist, and uh, it is one of the number one question I get out of meeting men individually is, uh, why doesn't my partner have to do this? <laughs> so it's definitely an issue. Right. Uh, so I guess the purpose of the BIP program in itself, is it to teach these guys how to 
is it anger management? Is it relationship counseling or how, how to handle relationships? Is it both? So I think the primary purpose of BIP when you look through uh, the literature given to us by the Department of Criminal Justice is basically set up to keep the victim safe, which would be the woman involved in the case. So I think the theory is that meeting this guy once a week for 24 weeks keeps him centered on uh, on this idea that he has perpetrated this and he needs some help around it. And the belief is, is that will then keep the victim safer if someone has their eye on this guy for 24 consecutive weeks. Yeah. So I think that's the premise of, of BIP in general is around the safety of the victim, even though that's so rarely discussed when talking about BIP because the focus is so much on the men. But yes, I think in the 24 weeks they they do attend with us, we do talk to them about um, it's not anger management um, and it really not much in the way of relationship counseling, but uh, more or less them just focusing on what they can do to control yeah. themselves. Well, is there a set is there an official curriculum that you use or are you is it up to you to decide what to do or in what direction to take these groups in? So being funded by the Department of Criminal Justice, we are allowed to choose a curriculum as an agency and there are a few to pick from out there that they obviously look over and say, hey, here's this list mm-hmm. of curriculums. Uh, one Big one is the Duluth model, which I think a lot of programs around the state use. Um, but we currently use Men Stopping Violence, which um, the Department of Criminal Justice uh, really likes that. They're based out of Atlanta, and so we follow their curriculum. So Men Stopping Violence, and you can look them up on the Internet if you're so interested. Okay. Um, what Did you have something else you was going to Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, you had you had I see the gears turning in the in the mind. I just want to make sure I wasn't going to uh, in, no. to interrupt that. Uh, so what what's the attitude like amongst the men? You know, okay, so we kind of established they're pretty much. You, you may have some guys who are voluntarily, or or I know some of our favorite wording around here, voluntold to come, or uh, they are actually ordered by the courts, let's say, to to attend these BIP meetings. What are, you know, what's the attitude like? Do you have some who are genuinely interested in bettering themselves? And I would probably assume you probably have some that Obviously, they have the attitude, well, I'm being made to do this. I'm going to tolerate it and get th- do my time and get through it. Um, what's that like? Well, I think it's exactly that. I think that we see some guys come in, and, and the first words out of their mouth is, well, I don't need this group. And uh, so, okay, I, I understand that. Uh, you know, let's talk more about why you feel like you don't need the group, right? <laughs> and there's some men that have uh, are required to come to the group, and uh, they show up, and from the first minute we start talking, they're very open about what they've done in this idea around... I guess that's what I was wondering about. Are they willing to come to terms with why they're there, you know? And I think it's split, you know, without jotting down any type of formal research around that. I think it's pretty split. You know, most, uh, 
one guy will come in and say he absolutely doesn't need the group, and the next guy will come in and say, hey, look, you know, I know what I've done. This is this is why I'm being required to take this group, and, you know, since, I've, since I have to be here, you know, I'll be open-minded about learning something from okay. it. So. Okay. And that's very different. I think once when I meet them individually, of course, it's the first time they're having to talk to another man maybe about the specific issues. And I think they're just not as trusting. Um, but typically, if we can get through that intake and assessment piece and put them in the group, we've got a pretty decent group culture. And, and I think yeah. the attitude is kind of just carried in there that, that everybody will participate and wants to participate. Mm-hmm. So. I, you know, and I guess the thing that comes to my mind, which I know we've touched based on before in in another show, is a lot of times you know you're telling these guys about uh, the toxic masculinity and getting in touch with your feelings, and it's okay to to express feelings. And I'm thinking that may or may not go over so well, especially maybe in the East Texas uh, area. Just because of of the social norms that are present here, sure. And I think every man brings their values and, and, and culture into it. And I think that we probably see some distinct lines being drawn around, you know, age, uh, race, and maybe maybe culture. So some of our older attendees really have held tight to some of the values around maybe those gender socialization things that we've talked about in a previous episode, they hold really tight to those, you know, our middle-aged guys may be more willing to hear us out about that, but you can rest assured that the the one thing that affects all the men are these ideas around being vulnerable and yeah, talking right. about um, feelings or expressing that or, or, or just in general communication. Mm-hmm. Right. You brought up a good, you mentioned something that made me think to ask, and that's uh, diversity. These groups, is it pretty widely diverse, whether it be age wise or ethnicity? How, what, what does that look like? I think without digging into the, the file folders and making some big spreadsheet about that, we see, you know, older uh, men, you know, and I'm thinking 50 and up. Sporadically, we see younger men, maybe 25 and younger sporadically. But I think most guys are right in there between the the 35 and 50 range. Okay. Middle-aged okay. guys, yeah. Sure. Uh, another thing I wanted to talk to you about, these are groups of men talking about guy stuff a lot of times. And yet, occasionally, your supervisor who is a woman, will co-facilitate these groups with you. What do these guys think when they see a woman in the room about to talk to them about um, healthy relationships, whatever whatever part that Catherine may talk to them about? Um, are they a little reluctant to open up when there's a woman in the moon facilitating the, the conversation? I think that... Um, well, we start early. When I first see them, for instance, at their intake, we tell them that there's another facilitator, the facilitator's a female, that that female has been through all the required trainings and, 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 um, 
has all the knowledge that any other facilitator would have. And I think if you look around the state, you've got a majority of females that lead bib groups. So okay. I think that that's not an uncommon thing. So there's not a lot of disrespect. I don't think that's given there. I don't, if the men are hesitant about it, they're certainly less vocal about that, you know, um, speaking up about it. And uh, I think, you know, having the co-facilitator, obviously, um, the recommendations of best practice to us are to co-facilitate with both a male and a female because it allows you to just model, you know, what a healthy relationship looks like in in front of these men who obviously had some issues point. with that. So, okay. uh, and obviously that's something that me and Catherine talk about on a pretty consistent basis is, you know, we're both aware of our power and control dynamics while standing in front of the group of men just so they can understand that, the dynamic is possible and they can see it. So they've maybe never seen that in their life. So I think that's a one good reason we do that. And occasionally there's a man that's very interested in like a female perspective uh, about an issue. And certainly Catherine can provide that. Although um, typically not something or the conversation that we just take overboard. Yeah. Right. Right. So, right, right. Okay. Cool. And just to kind of keep the focus on the men. Sure. Um, this program, how prevalent, how popular is it? Do other agencies like ours have BIT programs or is this kind of a, a rare thing? So I think if you think about BIPs statewide, I believe that uh, there's maybe 25 funded programs, uh, and those programs are all typically have to have a close affiliation with a family crisis center or a... Well, that's another thing I was going to ask. Are they all implemented by agencies like the Family Crisis Center or I don't believe that they have to be specifically implemented by the crisis center, but the person providing the BIP must have that strong relationship with that crisis center. So whether you're employed or not by the crisis center, you're going to have to be a, a part of their at least quarterly operations to some degree, attending meetings and things. But I think most funded are parts of other agencies. For instance, uh, when we prop this program up, we formed a close relationship with the, the I believe it's the East Texas Crisis Center out of Tyler, and those guys were very helpful in mm-hmm. um, allowing us into their groups to see how it's run, to see how they do things. And they're also funded. Right. So. And it, it may be good to mention that these groups don't meet here. So like the Angelina group, they don't meet here at the agency, right? If anybody has concerns maybe about perpetrators being at the family crisis center for a meeting. Yeah. So I think again, back to the thing around the victim safety is that we perform all, all meetings with these men away from any establishment that we might hold where a victim might show up to receive a service such as counseling or advocacy. Uh, We certainly don't bring them anywhere near the safe house. So um, we always have partnered with other community agencies who've been mostly open to allowing us to come do intakes and uh, assessments over there and both hold, hold group over there. So some of those have been ADAC in the past. Impact Lufkin has helped us out, and currently we're at the Angelina County Probation. Okay. So all right. Um, I know we we've talked a little bit about the way the meetings are facilitated. How has the whole COVID situation 
obviously, you know, you met in person. Now you're doing the hybrid Zoom and in-person meetings. Do you think that has taken away any of the effectiveness of these group facilitations? I think the change to Zoom was certainly uh, had its learning curve. And I think even now with Zoom, it you know, uh, the effectiveness of of guys participating in BIP versus in-person still would have to be measured in some official way. I think from our perspective, um, we still want to see the men. Of course, they have to be seen and heard on the Zoom, and that's the primary purpose. But you just don't have the same relationship across like a you know a Zoom platform as you would have seeing these guys right. in person. Sure. You know, and that's that's been a challenge. Um, but yeah, that's basically affected us. I think one other thing that we see is that maybe men during this time of either, you know, not working as much or not being able to access as as much other things as they might be doing have decided to, you know, enroll in BIP and then maybe spend a little more time Mm -hmm. that they've had thinking about it. So it just seems that we've had some of, some of that. So are there any options available for guys who um, may not uh, English may not be their native language? Uh, maybe they're Spanish speaking. Um, are there any options available in the state? Like if you have a Spanish speaking person that needs to attend BIP, how that's handled, or do you know? So I think that probably in your more urban areas, they offer are offering some Spanish speaking groups we currently don't right um and so i think that just if we had a spanish-speaking man that really needed bip we would try to refer him out to to somewhere else of course we don't get a whole lot of referrals yeah you know i think the community at large is aware that we're not offering them in the in a different language but i think we could try to accommodate you know uh i think in the past we've had some guys that uh uh didn't speak English well, but there was mm-hmm. another bilingual guy in the group, so they would just help each other through, and, and we did the best we could. Yeah, okay. Um, do you have anything you can share with us in regards to, do any guys stand out that would be the model example of a successful completion of a BIP program? Is there a success story or... Or someone that you know that has really turned their life around after going through BIP? So I can always think of specific guys. Again, I've been doing this a while, so lots of faces of men through there. I think that, you know, we've had some guys come through, you know, and I think it's just about uh, no one specific one. Maybe some other guys struggle with values a lot. And so after 24 weeks, you've start to see that they begin to talk about their situation differently or they're, they're questioning themselves about what they previously thought was the way mm-hmm. things go, maybe about what it means to be a man, you know, and after 24 weeks they've began to question themselves. I think, again, the whole group being about accountability, the way that we measure success can is a little informal. You know, it's basically about the conversations they're having with the group and us at their first week and then at their 24th mm-hmm. week, right? Have So have they begin to talk about the accountability piece? So, for instance, most men want to blame the victim. 
the first or second time we meet them. If by the 24th week they've can state that they can't control that person, but what they could have done differently, then we would identify that as success. And so there are certainly some men that come in that will say they don't need the group. They're never going to finish it. They're going to, I guess, test the system. I like to think to see if they would send them back to jail or something. And those men go on to finish the group. And then, you know, they're really humble and thankful at the, at the end of Mm -hmm. it. And of course, of course, across our program, we've not seen a, a man come back after he's completed the group successfully for another issue of intimate partner violence. That is so crazy. You just mentioned that. Cause that was, I was going to follow that up with, do you have guys that repeat the program or, or I guess in theory, can they repeat the program if they're so told to? I believe they could. I think we've had a lot of situations where men would start and get through maybe like six or seven weeks. And for one situation or another would just, uh, as we like to say, ghost the group. And that's just uh, what we would do is try to keep up with those folks that referred that man. Um, and, and that what happens then is that probation officer typically or parole officer would write a letter, sit down with that man and, and write a letter saying why if he's going to reenter the group, why he could be successful in 24 weeks mm-hmm. of the group. So okay. um, we've had men that we have restarted the group and then successfully didn't finish. And we've just separated them again and called the probation officer and said, you know, if this man is re-referred, we're going to, you know, either we're not going to allow him back in or it would take a conversation mm-hmm. with both you and him and, and determine what would work. Right. Okay. Uh a little bit, uh, I, I want to touch base just a little bit about Will. Uh, what, what, what made you decide? And I always like to ask everybody that's, that's been a guest on this podcast, I've, I have asked, what made you decide to get into this career? What made you pick this career choice? Well, I guess, uh, you know, I'm a social worker by trade, and I guess that just in genuine wanting to help other people is kind of what led to the education path. And then I was working for Child Protective Services directly out of grad school, and I think that uh, just started to see a lot of disparities for men, uh, you know, both from the side in Child Protective Services that... There's not a lot of resources out there for men who were interested in general in getting help. And then this idea that, uh, you know, CPS doesn't really ask a lot of questions about the father. You know, why isn't he involved? What's going on with him? And sort of why does he get this free pass, I I guess, per se, in these child protective services cases? Because, you know, the majority of child protective services cases, they always go in the mother's name. And uh, then we would begin this process of just trying to locate father. And so I always thought that was very interesting. And then, of course, the opportunity came up at the crisis center to start a men's program. Well, uh, after reading a little bit about what BIP was, it seemed really interesting uh, to me. And, of course, hey, look, I can relate to men because I'm a guy in the same culture and the, you know, basically the same wheelhouse as a lot of these men and that's how I ended up at the crisis center in the BIT program. Mm-hmm. Okay. Grad school, SFA? Yeah. Is that, uh, okay. Yep, SFA. All right. Local guy? Yeah. Yeah, local, uh, locally I, I grew up, uh, you know, west of Fort Worth, um, but landed back in East Texas after a stint in the Navy. Uh, 
and then of course ended up with the social work education and then now here at the crisis center awesome all right well thanks will i i appreciate uh, appreciate you coming on and uh we'll hear from more from will uh, as the podcast continues we're, we're uh, thinking about some future episodes of, of things that we can do. And again, Will, I appreciate it. Thanks. Yes, thank you. Have a good day. All right. Uh, so again, if you have any comments or questions, oh, Will, let me ask you, if somebody's interested, for, for a guy to come into the BIT program, do they have to go through the court or can somebody contact you directly here? Yeah, just contact us here directly at the Crisis Center if you're interested about BIP, have questions about BIP. Um, again, our groups are open to interested parties. Of course, there's a screening process. If you want to see how those work, we typically open those up to interested parties to come see how that works. Okay. And yeah, just give us a call and we'll be happy to either get you enrolled or answer your questions. Awesome. Thanks, Will. Uh, if you have any co- uh, co- uh, comments or questions regarding the podcast... I do want to give you our email address. It is conversationsandconnections at fccet.com. And if you feel like you need any services from the Family Crisis Center, maybe it's the BIT program, maybe it's our other services that we provide as an agency, we do have a 24-hour hotline that you can call. That Again, that number is answered 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That number is 1-800-828-7233. That's 1-800-828-7233. I'm Stuart Burson. Thanks for listening. And remember, be the voice, if not for you, for someone else.